Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I need you guys to imagine tall, swaying palm trees, a warm tropical breeze, white sand, and you will be taken to Palm Cove, the restaurant Nunu, delicious tropical food. Today, we are talking with Nick Holloway. He knows all things North Queensland, loves it, lives it, breathes it. Let's get into it. Nick, Nick Holloway, thank you for having us here at Nunu in beautiful Palm Cove, it's, Queensland. It's my absolute pleasure, mate. Lovely to meet you. We pretty much connected pretty quickly on an awkward awkward <laughs> telephone call when I rang you up to say, hey, let's do this, and I left a three-minute message on your phone. Yeah, who leaves messages these days? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you were ringing me back like I was some sort of uh, underprivileged person. Like, okay, mate, I got you. I'm going to help you out with this. Okay? Oh, hardly, hardly. <laughs> mate. Uh, I really wanted to, for you to tell us about this beautiful place that we're in and yeah. The restaurant, the region, I, uh, me, actually, what I, is it I, that you, you know want what, to know You know about? what, let's start with the region because yeah. this is such a beautiful place. Tell me about this beautiful place. Well, you know, I, I moved here 16 years ago and literally on a whim and fell head over heels in love with it. It's just the most exotic, verdant, dreamy, vibrant, funky, crazy place yeah. in terms of its biodiversity, the structure of the place from the outer fringes of the, you know, of the reef into the coast, the lagoons, the, the rainforest, and then the tablelands. I think in terms of the diversity and that what that gives rise to, you know, in terms of ingredients and people and culture, and I can't think of any other place on the planet like it, really. It's just so, so rich with life. Yes, you know? it feels like you've almost gone back into a Jurassic type period. There's stuff here that, you know, is bigger than everywhere else. It's, you know, different flavors. There's loads of cool stuff. Absolutely. And I think that uh, I, I'm not sure that all Australians are aware of that. I mean, this really is the tropics. I mean, just like Southeast Asia, just like anywhere close to the equator. And, and, you know, when you said it feels like Jurassic Park, I've, I've always had that sentiment. I don't know if you've ever been to the Daintree itself, but it feels like a gateway to a, to a prehistoric era. I mean, the, the, the Daintree Forest is the oldest botanical record on the planet, predates the Amazon. Like, this is wow. the building blocks of all of it, really. It's like a Garden of Eden, really. Did not know that. I do feel this amazing peacefulness, and I, I, I just feel like... I'm in a completely like locked in thing. I think as Australians, we're forever trying to get overseas and go see this and go see this. And, you know, we're flying out of Brisbane constantly to go somewhere else. Mm. But uh, I've, you know, in the last sort of 48 hours that I've been here, I'm just like, man, I am so coming back here. Like, Absolutely. And it, look, it's not quite like the big smoke where things jump at you and hit you in the face. It really does take a little bit more exploration, a little bit more of a deep dive, making connections with people. To, to get those authentic and true experiences, but just to soak up the landscape and be and be part of nature, you know, and not just view it through a plexiglass window. It feels fantastic. I think it's good for the soul. I think it's good for good for relationships. I think it's good for connection. It's good for the restaurant, that's for sure. And for my cooking, I know that much. So tell me about Nunu. Nunu, what, what, what is the name? Ah, uh, the name came about through, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just, it, it doesn't have any 
necessary meaning. There's a bit of a story, but it's really just... <clears throat> for us, that significance just means house of food. It's childlike. It embodies the spirit of who we are, you know, and, and our approach to life and our approach to people and our approach to, to restaurants. But what happened was when I first moved here uh, 16 years ago, we called the restaurant Husk. <clears throat> and... Uh, we thought that made total sense. There was coconut trees. We wanted a place that was close to nature and textural and fibrous and kind of had this really great feeling to it. And we had branded all of our, this is in 2004, I'd branded all our wine glasses, our menus, our signage, our business cards, our uniforms were embroidered. And then about 14 days after we opened, I was threatened with a legal suit because it was in breach of a trademark and in our youth and exuberance we hadn't checked everything we checked that it wasn't registered as a business name which it wasn't or a restaurant in queensland but it was actually a melbourne cafe had had it trademarked across all these different sectors <clears throat> and i uh you know we looked like we were gonna have, it was gonna cost us a fortune to fight this thing in court mm. and so i actually spoke to the guy on the phone and it was really exciting he was much older he's probably my age now and, and he said to me listen that's my name and, and I know where you've worked, I know your history and your pedigree, and I think that you're gonna be very successful in this field, and I just don't wanna see a, a, a conflict of, of, of recognition in the marketplace. And uh, when you find your own name, it's gonna be, be yours, and, it's, mm. and you'll know what it means to have a name and, and, and feel a deep sense of connection to that name. And so, it just, it, we didn't know what to do. We had to take down all the signs. I had no cash flow. I was 27 years old. It cost me about 20 grand, you know, to, to get rid of what our name was. Were you saying things like, what can I learn from this? <laughs> well, <I> know, everything <laughs> just felt so raw and real and visceral and we just didn't know what to do. So we traded without a name for a while. We just tried to explain to our patrons that we had no name and we we're trying to come up with a name and then... Um, we had a guy working for us who was East Timorese and he was a really flamboyant waiter. He was a good friend of my business partner, Jace's. And he suggested we call it Nu, which just meant coconut. And uh, but we thought it was too short. And he was actually, had a nickname called Dudu. And we thought, let's call it Nunu. <laughs> and, and since then, it, it's taken all these other meanings on and other, and other words. And it does have some significance in the fact that in in uh, Portuguese it means nude and East Timor is coconut so if you take away the husk you've got a nude coconut but that's actually not what we were trying to set out to do we just thought it had a, ch a childlike fun quality to it and the cool thing is here we are 16 years later and it's still Nunu and people still say what's Nunu and I'm like yeah. well Nunu's me Nunu's us this is Nunu it does sort of have a fun sort of ring. It actually sounds new, like a little bit like new, new, new. Uh, like, so Husk is the old name and Nunu is the new name. <laughs> it's the new, new, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just for people who haven't been here, right where we're sitting right now, you tell us about it, please. It is just such a stunning spot. Uh, we have a completely unobstructed view of the Coral Sea. There's no road between us. It's sort of an unfettered view. It goes from the deck to the lawn, a few palm trees, and then the soft lapping of a lagoon that is the ocean here and it's breezy and warm and and delicious so i moved to this site six years ago from the old site um but there's still this the restaurant doesn't have walls and it's just this kind of it in what we really wanted to do is have a place that is just time and place it's here we are we're in finals queensland you talked about it before about this 
not a chip on our shoulder, but this desire or this, this thing that everything must be at arm's reach, that the best must be somewhere other than our own shores. Yes, uh, I do. So if other people weren't listening before, I was saying that how a lot of our time as chefs, we get influenced by Europe or, you know, these or the foraging for mushrooms or whatever, and it does take away from potentially what's right under our feet. And that has definitely not happened with you in the long run, because as I walk in here and I see all of my favorite things, I see plantain and jackfruit and um, beautiful pumpkins and uh, Indian figs and palms <laughs> and you know, all this amazing tropical fruit and the soursop. Um, tell us about your influences of this beautiful area on the menu. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was when I was in Melbourne cooking, and I was at you know, and that were they were the times. You know, at the end of the nineties, I was working in some of Melbourne's best restaurants, and it it, it epitomised that, that that spirit of the food that we're all cooking. But there was a sameness to everything, mm. and it and it felt like. That, it, that everyone was striving for this ideal that essentially could have been Stockholm, it could have been Los Angeles, could have been Sydney. And that all dissolved pretty quickly when I moved here. And even though, you know, we had the best of everything. Every day at the restaurant I worked, the best of everything was delivered. Where it came from was kind of, in those days, irrelevant. You'd Ooh. ask questions, but the but the, the determining factor of quality was how, how good it was. But I think we lost the stories, we lost the relationships and... When I moved here, and again, I don't, I don't know why I moved here. I did, it just kind of happened. But all of a sudden, sourcing thing, it was like I, was, I had a whole new paint palette to colour with. And I've always been an inquisitive chef. It wasn't my first profession. It was something that I fell into after, you know, after trying other things. And um, all of a sudden, I'd go to the market and it was, it's just like, like I said before, teeming with, with all these things, these products I'd never, ever seen before. And so the natural thing to do as an inquisitive, creative person is ask questions. And, I, and the person who's selling it, who's selling the produce, generally has an answer as to how they prepare it. And because we've got a great, um, really multicultural uh, community here in the far north, there's the, a lot of the Hmong people, uh, we've got Vietnamese, we've got Italians and Spaniards, all, all migrants who came up here as itinerant workers, as cane farmers, and then settled have all brought to their equation, like living in a multicultural city like Melbourne or Brisbane, they've brought their own cuisine with them and their own sort of sense of uh, inquisition and culture to the place. And so when you ask them, oh, this is cassava, how do you cook cassava? Oh, well, we, we grate it and mix it with fish and coconut cream. So I'd come back to the restaurant and I'd start doing my things with it and then you then you'd realize that it's just a really starchy starchy vegetable what do i do with starchy vegetables and then there's this just multitude of applications and so what it did was over time i think a few things happened one it spearheaded the fact that to me authenticity and storytelling is like the greatest thing you can have i used to think that the restaurant was essentially about food but really the restaurant's about people like i just love people you know People come together every day. I'm open from 6 a.m. till 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And people come into this place and they just, it's together. It's like a, an oasis. It's a respite from all the rest of the stuff going on. And for me, that's what it's all about. And so it's just been a long process of inquisition and creativity and conversation and dialogue and romance and love. It's awesome. This is your life. And I'm not 
being corny. <laughs> that sounds like a um, but, um, <laughs> it sounds the, like we're about to start shopping yeah, with Tony okay. Barber. Some Sorry. people are going to walk in here in a second. But um, it is Sorry. so like, when you say you're open all those days, and you know you've made this your life, and I think problems in the industry, which I've spoken about a few times in in different podcasts, is that you know you're meant to do 42 hours or 45 these days, and that's it. It's yeah. very hard to have that as a part of your life and a part of practice. Like everything that you do, and I know that myself and my wife, and we're constantly doing things. I, I'm, wherever I am, I'm I'm in the garden looking at the mushroom or climbing the tree, getting the fruit or or whatever. And I feel that 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 essentially that with you know the work life balancey type thing of you know is is sort of almost you know like a rule now. Um, but I really do feel that what you've created here is much more than that and that you can have the best of both worlds. Like you've got a uh, family, kids, basketball, kids. yep. Um, <laughs> you're fit. Very much you're so. You're healthy. Well, I, tried it, but I shouldn't say very much yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, tell me about how, you know, that and your staff and, 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 and that sort of thing. It's, it's very difficult and I think that it has nuance and it has compromise. And, I, you know, I'd be foolish to say that it's idyllic, certainly in the early days of Nuno, just like every other young, ambitious business person and particularly us chefy types, you know, extremist and just push yourself to the limit. I mean, I worked, when we opened the restaurant, I worked every day, all day from open to close for months. I got Bell's palsy, my face collapsed. This side still doesn't work super well. You know, like I nearly fucking killed myself. But the point was, we, we had a belief, we had a why, we had a dream, and it, the work life blurs into the one thing. Mm. You know, we're not, we're not sitting around asking to painters paint too long, do we? <laughs> you know, and yet they might, they might do it all night long. Yeah. Uh, um, but, but as you do get a bit older, there are destructive um, parts of that kind of single-pointed ambition and focus that don't, just don't continue to hold as much merit as they always did. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've had three kids up here and as my roots went down into the loamy, you know, the sandy soil here at the beach, this is my home. I don't, I'm not a visitor. I'm not going back to Victoria to live. This is my home. I, I, I love it. I'm seduced by it. My children are barefoot. I live about 300 metres that way. They can walk here after school. My kids work in the restaurant. My daughter works in the ice cream shop. You know, this is, this is what we do. But it's still always a constantly a juggling act. And it, it would be easy if I could just shut my eyes to everything and live in my own little tropical bubble. But, you know, I'm just as much of a... I try not to be a slave to social media. I try and, in fact, I have complete disdain for it. But you do look and see what everyone's doing. And this, this idea that I'm going to somehow, somehow walk the dog, forage, play with my kids, have intimate relationship with my wife, be at the restaurant every moment that every customer could ever come, ever come in. Be listen, at the market. Listen to our podcast. See, listen to the podcast, <laughs> record the podcast, go to the gym, train the staff. It's just not realistic. It's just not, it's not going to happen. So what you end up achieving is just a fudged approximation of this ideal. But I think that you can make peace with it. That's the reality. I, I don't want to work every night anymore. In fact, I don't want to work too many nights at all. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to, my back is a mess. I'm supposed, I was looked at having surgery last year, but I don't want to do it. I want a lifestyle adaptation over physical, you know, manipulation and, and changing things all, the, all, you know, all together. I want to have, be able to transcend just being the guy chopping onions forever. I don't want to do that anymore. You are a remarkable man. 
<laughs> and I said that as a truck went past, just in case it didn't, uh, didn't blow. But um, I want to know where you all, where this all begin. Like you said, you weren't a chef at the beginning. So let's go, let's go back in time a little bit. And, yeah, sure. um, you know, I grew up in country Victoria, in Lake Centrance, and it was a it was very much an idyllic um, lifestyle. We lived on the on the lakes and the boats, and we had no mobile phones, and we skated every day, and we'd disappear in the mornings and come home in the evenings and our parents didn't ever seem to be around and we you know camped and fished and caught mussels and the guy across the road take our apricots we had heaps of fruit trees and then he'd put fish on the front door from the copper and then my mum would give the copper medicine from the both my parents are pharmacists it was just this like small community lifestyle and then I, at 18 i just couldn't wait to escape the absolute claustrophobia of small town life and um you know where everyone knows everything and craved the anonymity of the city and then i kind of had a period of uh, i first of all i went to university i started doing a combined engineering science degree both my parents are professionals i thought i should be a professional too i thought i should be i thought i should be mm -hmm. always very good at maths physics chemistry at school uh, school was never difficult for me. Didn't feel like I had to study. Kind of had my choice of any, of any subject, of any anything I wanted to do at university. So started this engineering science degree, fueled by the idea that I might be some geological engineer and make millions of dollars. I lasted about eighteen months. I absolutely hated it. I was lonely as all get out, and it was just really daily kind of existence. And then dropped out altogether to kind of paint and skate, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, Got a job as a dishwasher, as we all seem to do. <laughs> and I just was in North Melbourne, living in Queensbury Street, raving every weekend and then uh, washing dishes and just fell in love with this lifestyle, with these people, with, this, with the connections, with the, with the relationships, with the pirates. Just with you everyone. found your mob. Everyone was just a, a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but we, were, we had a brotherhood, you know, and it was cool. That and is because, what kitchens are, isn't it? Totally. Like, absolutely. And because... Because... I was so obsessed with it and it was now I knew what I wanted to do and it ticked all these boxes. I've always been a, a creative type person. I drew or I paint or I love music, I love dancing, I love all the, all the joys of living. And then cooking became this whole new, um, new way of experiencing the world and interpreting the world and I was just, just went for it, like lived it, breathed it, worked my ass off. But then something changed and I was all of a sudden I was 27 and the kind of the hollowness and the loneliness came back to what we were doing. Like I just didn't, I lived in a terrace house, didn't know my neighbours. My wife and I have been together since we were 20. And so we just went on an adventure and we found, we found here. And the, the, the you know, the, the irony of all this is I'm back where I'm started. In a tiny little town where I know everyone's name. Yeah. <laughs> so your wife works with you, I would imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. The whole thing too. Yeah, yeah. What's she does. Her name? Amy. Ames. Amy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Amy and I have been together for twenty something years. Yeah. She's my best friend in the whole world. Awesome. Yeah, she's right. I mean, it's a silly question, and I feel like I always know the answer, but you know, tell me, it's going to come back around. But what's important to you? What's important to me? Mm. Connection, contribution, community, wow. service. And you're not going to be the mayor of this place, like I said before. No, that's my wife's job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the dreamer. She's yeah. logistics. Yeah. <laughs> what can... You know, I, I, just, I just think that this... Oh, sorry, I shouldn't talk over the top. No. I just yeah. think that, that there's something so much more to all of this. You know, it's the, it's the making... It's the genuine relationships. It's having a conversation with someone. Mm. This, is, this is the currency of life. 
you know, this is it. <laughs> Man, you are everything I think a lot of people want to be. I think you're a great example to uh, human beings, let alone chefs. Oh, I'm a mess like everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> but be, and but be I'm an emotional to, mess. Yeah, and but be able to get through that. I think everyone can understand that, you know, we've all got stuff that we're going through. It doesn't matter who you are. But making the Absolutely. most of it and dancing and singing and and cooking some beautiful food and trying That's some it. different things and looking at things differently and painting a picture or picking up some bark and looking at it or whatever That's it. it is. That's it. It's a being, feeling, textures. Being present. And I, and I think that's what's wonderful about being a chef and anyone, you know, I always, I don't know even, I'm not sure who our listeners are, we should work that out one day. But, um, <laughs> you can wait no, till the end of the year and look to your yeah, analytics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if it's anyone wanting to get in the game, it is a game that where you can make it whatever you want it to be. It can be a boring-ass job or it can be creative, it can be, you know, foraging, farming, you know. So it is a great thing to be involved in, I think. I the, think the it's an game. incredible job to be part of. And there's the mentor. It's the mentoring and it's the craft. And like you just said, the craft extends. When you start to sort of pull back the layers, you know, and you realise an onion's not an onion's not an onion. Mm. And whether it's the varietal, then you've got the person who grew it, then you've got the time it was picked, then you've got the whole plant itself. Then you got the soil that was grown in. You could get into farming. You could get into uh, being a, an intermediary, being able to bring it all together, a facilitator, like like your job. It's there's so many parts of this puzzle. It doesn't have to be so black and white, mm. you know. And there's, you can have, you can take great pride in what you do at any part of it, mm. at any part of the equation. And when you start to to like I said, peel it back. The relationship you have with the kitchen hand is just as strong and profound as the relationship you have with the, the person who grows your stuff. That is so true. You I... cannot do it by yourself. You cannot. I have tried. So <laughs> I... You cannot do it. So therefore, you need to build trust and you need to build connections and networks and you work together. Collaboration, that's it. Then you start to see some real fucking results. Everything's a collaboration. Everything. Everyone's important. <laughs> Everyone's got something I'm to here, say. Man. I Everyone's feel got something exactly to contribute. the same way. Yeah. You know, I, and that's why we've got to respect each other. This is the fabric of, you know, and if you start doing that, the rest of it will sort itself out. Because then you'll pick up the rubbish you see in the street. Yeah. In fact, you'll know the, if you're the right person, you would never drop it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Someone might have accidentally dropped it. Pick it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You are an amazing person. And I've just about lost track of how I normally roll with these things. But, um, <laughs> because you're so inspiring. Um, Let's talk a little bit about product because yep. there is such an amazing amount of wonderful products. Tell me about the seafood, the magpie geese, the, the meats. Tell me about the... Some of the gear we've the, got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's broad and varied and interesting. So as far as the seasons go, so right now we're in the monsoon season. So really the produce is dictated by the sorts of things that thrive in hot, tropical, steamy, steamy weather. So the tropical fruits are amazing. Uh, as you've said, jackfruit season's in full swing. Mangoes have just finished. Lychees have just, or the, the tail end of some of the varieties of lychees are, are still here. Um, sour sops, all of that sort of stuff. As the season then starts to get deeper, deeper into the wet season, we'll see more durian, my absolute favourite of all the fruits in the entire world. It's I did see that on your, It's the most addictive, yeah? It is addictive. It is seductive. Is it, it is like funky... 
It's like it, sex. Yeah, it, it, well, let's explain it like so you can sort of smell it and you chase it like sex almost. So like, like it a dried like you. Pavlov's dogs, you know. So when yeah. like if Sandboy salt and vinegar chips, which I don't eat any of that shit anymore, but I must admit I still salivate like uncontrollably. <laughs> um, if I get out of the van at the market, I can instantly smell the durian. And I'll just my skin crawls, and I'll have to. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's I'll have to it, hunt know, it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and, its existence, isn't it? It wants to be cracked open and the seed to go again. It wants ab- to re. Yeah, you know, re- absolutely. I reckon we should get that. I think we've forgotten that that other stuff. There's a bag of stuff in the car. Let's get that because I want to talk about it. If you wouldn't mind, thanks. And it's and it's a really really lovely thing to use. The seeds are incredible. You can yeah. simmer the seeds in milk, and then or you can and then slice them and fry them. You can turn it into a. Uh, a flour that you can use to bake all kinds of cakes and pastries or whatever else you want. So I really, really love durian. Then as we start to dry up, there's usually a pretty quick snap um, around April, May, you know, and then we start to swing into, and this is what surprises people about this part of the world, because we have so many Italians and uh, Spanish people up on the tablelands, uh, there's one of the only rainforest dairies in the world uh, mangali dairy produces milk of the of the highest quality well oh, i know really it's the fully gr- well, unhomogenized biodynamic beautiful so in march uh, in march and april it's so fatty you can barely make coffee with it i was gonna say the 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 grass is just full on i know we've sort of we're in that wet time for up here yeah. even though we have been through a major drought it's so lush and green and tropical obviously the cows must be getting some extra stuff there to, to so make fatty. that good for milk. Absolutely. Um, and then we have the, this this Mediterranean summer, and, and a lot of these plants aren't indigenous to the area, but they do thrive on the tablelands where it's a little cooler and drier, and we have a really hot winter, which is like a southern summer. So that obviously has zucchinis, capsicums, tomatoes, all uh, nightshades. The Italian all. community? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the Hmong community who grow most of the stuff for the restaurant like papaya, cassava, ginger, all the rhizomes, ginger, galangal, turmeric, different types of turmeric, all the leaves from all those plants, um, bananas of, I mean, there's 26 different varieties of banana here in uh, in cans. Yeah. And each of those is fantastic. And I think that that's, you know, we, again, we touched on it before. It's it's the differences that we need to celebrate. Ah, oh, that's, uh, uh, a, what do you call it? A chai, abu. Yeah, a buoy dragon fruit. What else have you got there? We got all sorts of things. Because there's also the smaller one that looks like this. It's that uh, acha, acha, whatever. Uh, uh, acha, acha. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That's that guy. I think that's the same thing. I mean, that's a number. Um, yeah. I think that's a smaller one. Yeah. What's that one? Looks like Crack a jackfruit. Caladang. 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 Yeah, and then you got the one that's like this meringue. Yeah. Which has got the really pointy, fine spikes. Yes. Crack that open. How do you open it? Just pull it with yeah, your fingers? Pull it open, yeah. yeah oh, fantastic. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> look at that looks that. amazing. That actually looks like pandanus fruit. So on the pandanus there, which will yeah. fruit soon, yeah. have a similar looking seed and you chew the really sweet part right near the middle. Crack a bit of that in. Mm. That Delicious. Ta- that tastes like a more sour version of um, jackfruit. Yeah. Truly delicious. But just I, I, what I love about that is from a, you know, oh. you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're artisy type people. And I just love, like, I, I get off, I could just look at that middle? for hours. Like the outside of this is beautiful. Then you've got these beautiful protective layer of whatever that is. Oh, and, absolutely. Okay. So, I so will, beautiful. I'll put that up. The day we release this, I'll put that little video up on Instagram so everyone can get off on what we've seen. So, uh, I'll, 
I'll f put it up somewhere so and everyone I think can see what this, we're doing. This is exactly right. And we shouldn't be trying to keep this going for however many. It just should be something that's in season. We enjoy. It's delicious. Can and then I, we move on to the next thing. Don't, but isn't that just a metaphor for everything? All things pass, flows through you, you know, enjoy it while it's here. That is <laughs> it. I reckon, you know, that we should just re-emphasize what you've just said there about eating in season. Like, Absolutely. I've literally had people ring me and say, hey, uh, I, I didn't get any blood oranges today. And I go, that is because we are in summer. And a deep respect <laughs> to these guys and girls who are running these amazing businesses and are doing things on a different level. And I know that chefs have got a lot to think about. Yep. And some are not as fortunate as uh, to have a farmer's market around the corner. And they do rely on information and, and um, things when you've got all the fish to think about, the, the herbs, the spices, the, you know, there, there is a lot to it. So I, I give them a break, but um, eating in season, it's just such a, a, it rolls off the tongue everywhere. Oh yeah, we have seasonal local produce. Do you? I don't yeah. know about that. And I think that it, look, it makes economical sense to, not only is it obviously the, the way we should be behaving and eating, but yeah. as a proprietor, you know, I've often uh, been, uh, it would ask these sorts of questions. And the motive was really that if you want to exist as a, as a restaurant, you need to be able to um, be insured against the financial strain. And then you do that by using every single, not because it's cool, not because it's a catchphrase, but it doesn't make economic sense or spiritual sense to not use every part of every plant and every part of every animal that you that you that you have. You know, the idea is that you you buy stuff in, you use every single possible thing you can, you cook food to the best of your ability that hopefully is so delicious that is absolutely nothing comes back, and you go home with empty bins and a happy countenance. You know. Is it, I find it uh, what uh, this is the Abby, Abby yeah. uh, what, what I find is, is it's hard to Ooh. to funky, you know sometimes you don't need to do much with stuff you know sometimes if you're like, I think this one's a bit over yeah over right but um yeah that, it's usually not as um so normally clear but that and in white. itself is fantastic you know yeah so I feel like um, there's all these things that that yeah they don't need too much doing with them. I almost see that as a challenge. Like, shit, that is so good. Do I need to do anything to it? Yeah. I do you find that with the tropical type stuff. For me, it's like I just want to eat a dragon fruit. I just want to eat a. And there's um, nothing wrong with that. And we do, um, we do celebrate some things as there are. I'm not huge into massive amounts of manipulation of stuff. Often, often nature presents some uh, uh, produce in the way it. In the, in the best way it can but certainly the application of fire and smoke or fermentation or or other ingredients it just it helps support the, its own true and natural flavors and textures really texture is is king in so many ways because that's where that's often how we taste things you know? yeah i think a lot of people forget that with food where sometimes they don't have a balance of texture not only has it got to you know present in a, in a colorful way in a seasonal way but texture is super, super important. Tell me about what you do with breadfruit. Breadfruit. The best, it's funny, that actually keyed into something else I was just thinking of. The best way I've ever had breadfruit was with David Thompson, uh, the, the Thai genius. And he had, when he came to Pearl forever ago for a series of guest chef dinners, we served it for staff meal and hollowed out the middle. And then we pounded a paste of pork and prawn and garlic and coriander root and white pepper seasoned with a little bit of fish sauce and then pounded it in a mortar and pestle and then stuffed it into the breadfruit and steamed it for about an hour and then served it as staff meal and we scooped out this beautiful 
prawny and porky steamy mince with the breadfruit itself. Absolutely delicious. <laughs> and it reminded me actually of listening to David talk once. I helped him with a few cooking classes and he spoke about texture in one of the, for me, a way that I could really understand. And he spoke about the way that often chefs are misconstrued as, as using knife work to, to, to display their prowess or their skill with the knife. But it's actually just another way that the chef can become alchemist because the way that we cut ingredients determines actually how they'll cook or if served raw determines how we'll taste them. It's the texture of food that interacts with our palate in a certain way that means we taste it in a certain way. If something is, is, um, is silky and juicy and we'll taste it everywhere. If something's cut into small, little, fine, crunchy, crispy dice, we'll taste it when we bite into it. If something's cut in a coarser, chunkier way, we'll interact with that ingredient as we do it. Mm. And I really loved that idea. And, and he was talking about it in relation to some, you know, beautiful kind of Thai salads that, you know, whether you've got uh, banana heart and green mango and green papaya and really finely shredded kaffir lime leaves and then large pieces of pomelo or pieces of dried shrimp that have been fried and crunchy. And each one of those things you taste in the way that you prepared it. And I find that really, really, really exciting. <laughs> As I do most things. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't have to ask you much. Um, Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, tell me about what's. Tell me a little bit more about this menu. Sorry, I'm chewing that fruit. No, you can have everything. Mm. This is all yours. Yep. Um, tell me about another thing. What's what's um, what's one of your favourite things on the menu at the moment? Shit, what's one of my favourite things on the menu at the moment? There's a few. I'm trying to think what really resonates with me. Okay, something we've been doing that I just think has been super super delicious uh, is. Tiger prawns. So often in the evenings, you'll see the prawning boats out here in the in the um, in the cove. Uh, tiger prawns that have been skewered and then brushed with uh, green masala. So we make a paste out of all of the leftover mint and coriander, blend that up with fenugreek and vinegar, and then cook it all down for a few hours. And then we have this beautiful, luxurious sort of heady Southern Indian flavored uh, paste or relish that'll live in the in the in the fridge for months. And so we brush the prawns with that and then cook them over coal. So they're just, just cooked and then serve them with fried curry leaves all over the outside. And then some of the Mangali yogurt from the tablelands um, and then finger lime, which is that is really, really delicious. It has this sour and heady Poppy. sort of luscious quality to it with the crispy curry leaves and then this, you know, seafood at its absolute prime. Is that, I feel like I saw a picture of that on your Instagram. Is there a picture? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I'm pretty hopeless with posting all that sort of stuff. I should be. I should be better, but I really I'm kind of rather be doing. Yeah, it I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you are. And I, there's definitely something changing, flipping there. Like it's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. And we've yeah. got to make sure. Once again, we've got to have a little bit of balance with that sort of thing. We talk about, you know, seasons coming and going, but I think with things like that, it's always in your face and. You've got to learn to balance that stuff yourself, as we spoke about before. Another, another dish that I'm using actually the similar flavors, and that's what I was thinking of it, that we had on for a little while last year that I loved is we always specify local line caught reef fish on the menu, and I have done for 16 years, basically because I never wanted to be beholden to a dish or, or a fish or a species and then serve whatever I get. Mm. whatever the condition. So every day, myself in the old days, these days, it's the head chef's joy to get the text message at five in the morning or, you know, late the evening before about what the catch was. 
provided it's line cord, I don't care. And then we modify the dishes to accommodate. Uh, and I think that that's fantastic because then you'd really do get to investigate such an incredible array of species. And they're all really different. They all have qualities that you can cherish and harness and, and embellish or some that you want to kind of, you know, diminish or try and avoid in other ways. So where we're getting, uh, if, 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 it's, if it's a soft fish but not too fatty, um, something like rosy job fish or something like that, we would use the whey from the Mangali dairy and poach the fish really gently in whey with curry leaves uh, and some of that green masala. And then we get one of my suppliers, Ricky, grows rice up here. And, you know, again, just another one of these beautiful stories, but he grows rice for his family and uh, doesn't have to be irrigated. So it's grown on the property. The rice likes uh, wet feet and the bananas, you know, so they mm. throw them on the hill with the cassava. And he hand threshes all his rice. So they grow it for the family, then they harvest it, then they drag it out of the shed every day on the, on the tarp and then drive it back, go back in. And so because all the rice is hand threshed and he only gives me a small quantity, uh, it's broken into small polished pieces. And so it makes sense to turn it into a porridge or a gruel. And I love this idea of kind of making dishes that might be perceived as peasantry into something lustrous and gorgeous and, and ridiculously, you know, beautiful. So we would uh, cook the rice in the fish stock and then season it with little diced pieces of pickled ginger and toasted fennel seeds and then serve the rice and the fish together with green masala paste and the juice that all comes from the post fish and pickled ginger and the like the crispy skin. It's just really, really lovely. It's a great play of textures and flavors. Uh, one more dish, tell me a dessert dish that you're doing. A dessert dish? What have been some of the winners recently? Oh, another really great one. <laughs> well, fucking in my eyes anyway. Uh, I buy sago, local sago from the Polynesians here. So making sago is a really cool thing. Uh, they use a sago palm and then uh, the ladies at the market, while well, they eat their betel nut, tell me all these stories. So um, mash the stem of the palm and then build a, a trough laid with the, the palm leaves down to a pond and then use lots of water and mash it. And then as it goes down, it settles into the sago starch. So we buy the starch as it is uh, and then use the starch to cook some of that rice of Ricky's with the sago starch and coconut cream, fresh coconut cream and banana and to make this sticky sago banana pudding seasoned with palm sugar and salt, and then serve that with either mango ice cream or durian ice cream or whatever we choose to make at the time. And then a thing we call green banana crunch. So we use plantains that get grated and fried and blended and fried and then seasoned with local cinnamon and cane sugar. Uh, and then again, some dehydrated and fried rice or a little bit of seaweed. And it makes this really Again, I'm just driven by texture, this kind of crunchy pile of gritty, savoury tasting crunch with, you know, tropical ice cream or sorbet and then this hot sticky pudding. It looks like a pile <laughs> of crunchy flavour, but I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Have you got a book? No. You should have a book. Well, that would take patience and probably... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'd like to do it. I got asked forever ago. And then I, I really pushed for it a year ago, but then it was just faced with someone telling me basically I'm not I'm not famous enough and, and I don't have twenty I, I, I don't I, have you know twenty five I, I don't have twenty five easy Thursday night recipes to do. And I kind of really so I think I might self publish and do something just about a year in the tropics. Yeah, I really don't I, whoever said that is a fucking is a 
is a it's dick. Just that, is, that is just shit. It, it is what it is. It's, this, this I, is the I time. Lo- well, yeah, that, they're going, okay, we need to market or something. Like, yeah. I mean, everything that you've spoken to me about today, from the person that you are to the food on the menu to how you're cooking, your cooking ability, your, the, your, you know, if, if this is not a book, then I don't know what the <laughs> fuck is. Uh, it, I, I'm enthralled and super interested, and I'm not always, you know. Oh, that's uh, cool. So, Thanks, man. Um, yeah, you're doing some good stuff. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So, um, highlights. What are the what was the what was the best year up here? Has it been like some highlight? Of, you know, obviously the birth of your children and all the rest, but you know, has there been a, a work highlight? Yeah, uh, I think. Well, there's been lots of interesting, funny times. Like I, I was on MasterChef a few years ago as a as a guest chef, I'm sure I was a sacrificial lamb sent on there to lose against the contestant. It was pretty, pretty horrifying and a far cry from what I do here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> board shorts and <laughs> yeah, yeah. look like a hippie, and I had to go on to, um, you know, on the telly and do this this thing cooking. But it was really, really good fun. But I found that whole experience so it's just so odd and says so much about our culture. It's a fantastic experience. The bookings go through the roof. For some reason, there's you know there's the validation that you're on the silver box in the corner of the room. I'm doing exactly the same shit I did the day before, but I get to school in the morning and I get a standing ovation at school, and it's people are like, "You were on the telly." Yeah, like, yeah, I was <laughs> doing the same stuff I normally. You know, do. you're gonna get this out of the podcast. <laughs> I will. We're at be... least twelve listeners. I'm pretty sure. Like, were you on the podcast? <laughs> I was like, I was, I was. So they were crazy times, and the, you know the cyclones were always amazing. Because Scary and amazing, but really bring the community together. Uh, these last couple of years have been really exciting for me as I've transitioned from, you know, the, the slug it out cook to trying to make it a bit more of a, uh, a business. And I don't want to use the words like empire or anything like that, but I do, I do have strong feelings about making a mark, not for my ego, but just mean having some meaning. You know, or offering, actually, I suppose, contributing to my community and having something up here that the community can be really proud of. Uh, and so we've been doing lots more business, like I've been doing massive off-site catering stuff over the last two years. Like last year, we did a sit-down for 500 and something, and I do lots of those. In, and starting to try and diversify our offering so that we're doing things like big events, you know, with a cane burn and you're doing it, it feels like you're on the set of a Gangajang uh film clip you know or a jimmy barnes film clip and and that's been really really good fun to sort of engage with some of these big corporations and being able to offer something you know that's that has the same uh philosophy and spirit and quality that we offer in the restaurants but just on such a larger scale so that's been fun for me stimulating and interesting big challenge like something that's really knocked you around you're talking about some of the health stuff before whether it be a cyclone there's a million things how what was a big big challenge you've had and how did you get through it i still feel like we struggle every day yeah. you know but the, the, that period of the global financial crisis was destitution like i've never never cried so much before on the beach trying to figure out how i'm going to pay the staff the next day but we always have we always have we didn't earn any money for a long time and they, you know, they were crazy times. It was really, really, really full on. The, the, our market share didn't cr- didn't shrink, but the whole pie shrunk. And you know, people's dis- discretionary spending went out the window. And we're we're a really intertwined community. And and if you don't have optimism, you know, you don't. People aren't building building houses, and blocks aren't selling, and therefore people aren't buying stuff and consuming and people aren't going to the reef and people aren't coming up here on holiday it was a really 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 difficult time and anyone with common sense would have closed 
that's all there is to it. But I'll say, you know, there's a diamond always. Um, it made us better and astute businessmen because we we took the flab out of the machine. We realised that we had to just everything has to be quantifiable, understood, and even if that's romance and love and passion, it's still you still have to be able to look at it and give it a, a value and a space and a place. You know, and now I think of it like we're really big beautiful sailing ship and we spend all day polishing cleaning trimming the sails trying to you know charting a course looking after our staff making sure that everything's humming along beautifully and when it is it's just joy you know mm. and when it's not it's fucking nightmare <laughs> so i feel like it's always a struggle there's no you know there's no golden moment when all of a sudden it's all done and done it's like i said all things pass so hold on to the good times hold on to the bad times whatever comes and goes but it's still it's still you know the, the, the issues that face restaurants these days are real uh, financial constraints profit margins staff uh, you know they're tough times to have restaurants and then and if you followed what the way it, you look it looks like the successes are going to be the corporate giants who can afford to do them to do things the way they need to be done but I you know I really hope that us small business owners can just keep doing what we do and find a way through exposure like these podcasts through 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 knowledge that people can can keep being patrons and coming to our places you know because without this stuff a very valuable part of our society will be missing this is key i i think that this is key and i i can't encourage people enough to come not only to nunu and to have you know this experience but to come to this place right where we are right now and enjoy. Um, I think a lot of people really get a bit scared in the off-season. Now, this is off-season right now, yeah. and it is stunning, and, and I'm fortunate enough to be in a hotel up the, up the road, and yeah. it is, I'm in five-star luxury for like 200 bucks or something. It's like ridiculously totally. cheap. I, I, I think it's just as beautiful all year round. In fact, you know. And, and I'm not, it is just like, it is almost perfect. Like we're not sweating here. I mean, I'm Absolutely. sure you do some days, but I mean, it is today. Like there's today. a breeze. It's beautiful, and the you know the sun's out. Look, and even when it's pouring with rain, I mean, we had hundred and something mils a couple of days ago, and it was torrential. You know, it was a really, really, really wet, rainy day, but it still has charm. I think that the, I think that we need to do something in terms of tourism with with promoting these places. You know, like the alpine regions have done with summer diversifying the 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 op, you know the the uh, options for people to do stuff whether the alpine regions have mountain biking and hiking and all that sort of stuff there's plenty of stuff that people can do here in the wet monsoon season there you is know. heaps absolutely jungles chase waterfalls and you want to see some waterfalls come up here in the wet season it's crazy you know get into the get into the jungle and go or, or, or do a full immersion trip with uh you know elders up in the up in the mossman gorge like it's incredible absolutely i do feel incredible. like as australians like i think i've already said this but we do not come here enough. No. But this is stunning. And I, I, I came up here years and years ago and had one of the most beautiful weekends of my life, but I never came back. And I think it's because it's so close, I'll do that later type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of emphasis on how getting people here is like, it's like overseas people were trying to get up here. Like, that's for the tourists. We're going to go overseas. We'll send all our tourists up there. But really, as a local, as an Australian, you're actually missing out if you haven't been up here to experience some of the cool tropical stuff. Like literally, I still get blown away by different products. 
your cooking techniques is just, you know, stuff that no one's seen. I think that every apprentice should be putting their hand up to say, I want to come up here and learn from you and your team about we've, how to cook and how to do business. You probably do that already. Yeah, we've you been do? very fortunate. <laughs> no, well, we actually get a lot of local people. We've been really fortunate with our staff. It's one of those uh, Kevin, Kevin is a Kevin Foster, you know, build it, they'll come sort of stuff. Mm. We build an idea and that attracts like, and that attracts like whether you're a gardener. So I have... I have so many people who grow stuff for me who just, uh, they're curios, you know, they, they want to spend their time in the garden and they'll say, oh, what do you think you can do with this? And, you know, we work somewhere. and the same comes with staff. I'll get kids from the Tablelands or local kids who just want to do something a bit interesting and they don't, you know, whether they've started chefing somewhere and they've realised that they don't want to be opening bags and mm. you know, that they want to do a bit more. And, and that's how I learned to cook, that we actually make absolutely everything. Uh, and that attracts like... And then we train them up and you pass on the knowledge. And look, to be honest, most of the time I lose them to the city because uh, they've got to keep spreading their wings and they've got to keep traveling and meet more masters and more, more mentors. But they, they all eventually come back. I have so many of my staff come back and work for me again three or four years later after they've traveled the world or traveled the big cities. Um, and that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel like, like I got through to them. There, there is, there, you know, they, they, they got an understanding of of the purpose, the intent. Not, we're never going to master anything. We've been doing this for the rest of my life. But it's about the intent and the purpose and being present, you know. I do think, I just said it, I'm going to say it again, I do think that if there's people out there who are sitting down trying to write menus and they can't get inspiration, uh, I think they should come up here and work for you for free and just, <laughs> and just learn and just hang out and just see what happens in the kitchen and get the feel to getting back to basics and get away from the packets and whatever it might be, whether you're in a big hotel or, you know, wherever you are. But um, there's only a few people, I, well, there's probably, there's, there's a few people I would say that about in Australia, but uh, to get up here and have this little, this holiday in this beautiful place as well. And it's the crazy. thing, and also with the cookbooks, you know, you go to the cookbook second. You don't go to the cookbook and go, oh, I might try that, and then go and find eggplants. You go to the market, you go to the veggie patch, you know, you go to, you, 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 you ask other people, and then, then you go to the cookbooks, and then you go to the, the, the places where you source it. The greatest source of inspiration is always going to be the produce. In real time, in its season, in, in the marketplace, or with the farmer, with the grower. I know it sounds like the same shit everyone says, I'm sorry, but, it's, it's, but it is really true. Nah. And it's that, that is the start. We, we, know, people say, where do your ideas come from? Your ideas come from exposure and interpretation, right? So you need to put yourself in a fertile environment. Put yourself in a fertile environment. Expose yourself to what's happening and the ideas will just flow. And you collect those ideas and they go in your little toolbox or you see someone else cook, cook some cool shit, all my mates who cook and you know, you know a lot of them. Mm. And we share ideas with each other. Don't covet your ideas. Oh, let them yeah, go. Please. Let them go. Let's share Share, it. share, share. I can't say that enough. Anyone who's actually not sharing sort of doesn't get shared with as well and you, you'll stop learning real, real quick. Totally. And, and the more you share, the more you make room for new ideas. That's it. It's like... Yeah, there's many. I could definitely talk to you all day. <laughs> Sorry. I do, do want to leave. I, I want to I sort of end it, roll it up here. Uh, but I, I can't say enough about how, once again, the energy up here feels all amazing. I do say that a lot. But uh, get up here, try new, new. Uh, if, just as a, a guest or if you're a chef, make sure you introduce yourself to Nick because yeah, I'm out. sure he will make you feel super comfortable. Um, yeah crazy if you don't thank you oh thank you so much lovely chat man enjoy your energy thank you man i hope you enjoyed that podcast with nick holloway as much as what we did 
making it fun guy really really made us feel welcome fantastic but if you are enjoying all these podcasts please subscribe that is the absolute best way to you know get on to the next one more cool stuff coming up on the podcast soon Thank mm-hmm. you.